John, what are we doing here? Uh, you asked me to come into your basement. <laughs> this is a studio. Starts out weirder <laughs> sounding than it was intended to, and you said you wanted a top five list of area control games. And so I made a list, and then I said, I'm not even sure what that is. Yeah, yeah. The area control is something that I think it brings to mind certain things. Like, I, I don't know about you, but dudes on a map first, like, popped in my head, and I was like, oh, it has to be these battle area games where you have an elaborate map that looks like it was written by, you know, Tolkien or illustrated by Tolkien or something. It, it, it is essentially the representation of fantasy novels from our youth, but that's not really what we settled on, huh? No, because I think there's a whole subset of like the the somewhat Eurogamer mentality. I mean, when I hear area control, I go back to Risk, which is what I grew up playing well before the the, the golden age of board gaming hit us now. Uh, and we, we had a lot more variety than just that dice chucker. Um, but to me, that was what area control meant. It was it was throwing your dudes out on the map, marching across the board, capturing territory, holding territory was a key part of the game. And, and watching your army sweep across the board f as the main focus of victory. So so I think, and I think that's probably why you even asked me why, why why pick area control because you know that that's you know something that I'm passionate about. But I think there's a whole subset of people who would say, well, area control is controlling an area through any means, even if that just means majority of pieces in a spot. You know, more of a Euro definition, I think. Yeah, yeah, totally. And because in my area control, we don't share spots very yeah. much. Well, you also had Risk as a foundational game, which Risk has been garbage since it came out. So you know what, uh, you have your definition of area control, and I have mine, but. I I think we should start with BGG's definition because they actually have area majority and influence as one of their defining mechanisms for area control games. So on risk or pretty much all the games that we're talking about today, area majority and influence is what they describe. And they have it as multiple players may occupy a space and gain benefits based on the proportional presence in the space. In El Grande, for instance, players earn their score in a region by having the most caballeros in that region. And I thought that was kind of limited. So when we were bouncing some text back and forth, I kind of came up with this idea. An area control game has multiple areas on the board in which players may be able to extend their presence, and it's possible to alternate who is in control of those areas. Often this is done by combat mechanics, sometimes by majority of presence, if shared presence is allowed. And for our list, what we're talking about today, I was thinking that the victory condition in the game has to either be established by or largely driven by striving for control of these games. And that, that actually came into play in some of the decisions. Like there were games that I put on my list that I kind of axed because I was like, I don't know that the area control element is enough of a part of this game. Did you actually struggle with putting together your list at all? Um, I canned about a half dozen entries that I absolutely <laughs> was passionate about, specifically because I would start saying, man, I really like this game. I really like this, 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 and this about it. It's got the conquest. It's got the art. Oh, wait a minute. You don't actually control any areas. You just kind of... You get points, but you don't do it by holding anything. You just, oh, that's not there. I did a lot of hemming and hawing, so I, I think I came up with something that is a um, a medley of all the, the varieties of area control on a spectrum and kind of did away with some of those questionable entries. And I, I would agree, my personal definition that I came away with was something in which the control of a region, either through exclusive control, 
by conquest or by majority or influence right, right. Uh, was a driving factor in either winning the game or getting points to to win the game through possibly other win conditions but it had to be something like at least 50 percent you know it can't just be one possible part of a point salad it has to be a big driving force it has to be the the whole salad or a pie even it's got to be at least the lettuce yeah. i mean there can be croutons <laughs> there can be bacon bits and and you and used to put little like little carrots, oranges yeah like you were big on None the little the oranges yeah. yeah okay okay well then why don't we actually get this kicked off with what's your number five so, so mine aren't really ranked all that well either because they do oh, okay. represent such different games. So I'll be honest, <laughs> We're really like, put together. I kind of have a number one that's definitely the one I like the best, and the rest are just sort of... Tied for They fit fifth. in a pie. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, it's friendly ties. It's all tied for second. Okay. Um, okay. So I think number five for me, I'm just going to start off by being as cheesy as possible and say diplomacy. By email. By email. Explicitly by email. I don't want to sit at a table with you and play that game. It will bore me. But the best part of that game is one of the things that I think is the best part about area control, which is the the give and take, the the despair of losing something that belongs to you, and the, the rush of gaining something that belongs to someone else. Coupled with the fact that I just spent two days emailing a friend to backstab another friend... <laughs> When I should have been working instead. I, I think that may be one of the purest area control games, or really one of the purest games, period. I mean, it's such a minimalistic game where, like, the the players themselves drive all of the fun and interaction of the game. So that's that's an interesting entry that I didn't even think about when putting together my list. See, my number five, I started with something that was like near and dear to our hearts. And, you know, I, I had to go with Comet. So like Comet to me is uh, a game that just encourages slaughter. Like you are from the get go putting so much pressure on every other player and every decision that they make, whether it's drafting those tiles or whether it's uh, going to just take certain spaces on the board, you are in the thick of it right away. And the the fact that there's such a limited space and everyone has so much access to one another, as far as classic aggressive area control games, Commit to me was the one that came to mind. It's definitely not my favorite game because I have tons of anxiety when I'm like, oh God, I'm going to do something that's going to hurt my, my friend. And I'm happy about hurting my friend, but I know that like three other friends are going to come back and take advantage of my vulnerability but still commit is just such a brilliant game and i'm excited about it getting that new new version coming out gonna ask you that so 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 i'm not getting paid for this um <laughs> you know and, and i'm no one special but if you wanted to make me uh guys madigo if you guys wanted to make me an egyptian god feel free you know <laughs> yeah. uh here's your free plug i absolutely back the second edition it is one of my favorite games but it is one that i could not say met the cut from my definition in that Oftentimes, I get more points from killing my friends and from uh, driving all those extra bonus points, less so than the holding of the temples. Depending on your strategy, you could make it an argument that it's more than 50%, but that was my take, and that's why it didn't make the cut for me. No, it's also because you have bad taste. So let's hear about your number four here. Uh, okay, so number four is we're, we're still pushing. So if, if diplomacy is holding area through force... Uh, in its purest form, then I'm pushing closer towards that Euro definition with uh, Plague Inc. So I don't know if you've ever played the app. 
I, I have played it's a, that. It's, it's the beeps and boops button pushing right, kind right, of time right, waster. Right. It's really fascinating and fun, but when you think about what you're really doing, it's kind of watching things grow, honestly, watching mm-hmm. grass grow um, and take over the world and, and sprout from people's ears and noses, and <laughs> depending on if you're playing it as a fungus. But no, the... um. The thing about uh, Plague Inc. was that it is it is a non-aggressive game in that you really don't take stuff from people. Right. But right. you try to... It represents something that thematically, playing Risk growing up, mm-hmm. my little... I, I would play the little Army of Darkness. I'd play... Black was my color. The Horseman of the Apocalypse. And to me, it was... It was emblematic of a plague marching across the world as every time i took more territory i got more guys to take more territory and it was like you know it was it was it was it was an it was a a sort of a geometric progression like a disease as the armies march across the board and so something about plaguing captures that spirit of you actually are a disease and in the same way your goal is to just as effectively as possible march across the board and just claim territory in the form of people's uh countries but you have a messed up childhood if like you're imagining your risk characters going out it's like this is the plague i spread upon the land absolutely uh so i played black as my army and and as often as possible we had the little colonial dudes and so it's you know cannons little soldiers and guys on horseback and every single time that i could it was guys on horseback that's amazing there's the horsemen of the apocalypse marching across the uh, the map well for me i went with a, a newer game certainly uh, more modern than diplomacy again uh, i went with eric lang's blood rage now i know there's an argument to be made here for chaos in the old world and i, I know a, a ton of people are diehards for that game but blood rage to me is where area control was starting to get played with and it, it was becoming dissected as a genre the dudes on a map portion of area control at least and i felt like blood rage is the first time in a game where i felt incentivized for certain strategies to die like you could go into a, a battle and it's okay to die if you outfitted your your team a certain way and that was really interesting to me and also i really like that the aggression is more posturing within the locations. You know, you move a unit in and then your opponent's going to go, well, there's such a limited space within that area. And so they may as well posture in there. And that encourages all of the following turns that people have. But you don't actually initiate an attack with anyone else. I, I thought that was so brilliant the first time that I that I played it, that you attack the land, and then it becomes a, a battle. Start a rugby scrum. <laughs> exactly, yeah. It's like, all right, I'm kicking things off, and I'm pillaging here. And it's then like just... someone threw the ball. I don't know how rugby's played. I assume there's a ball involved. I don't think someone there's actually the... rules in rugby. <laughs> someone throws the ball in the middle of the pile. Everybody realizes it's there, and, and then a scrum happens. I think that's what it is but that's what it's viking scrum it's viking rugby but absolutely and i think the cool thing about that is that it plays into the area of area control whereas something like you know you go back to the og area control risk type game or accident right. or whatever there's a lot of logistics in it there's a lot of how do i get armies from a to b and how and if i'm spread too far whatever but this boils it down to I am jostling for space. The truest definition of I'm fighting for an area. It, really minimal movement, right? Right, right, yeah. And, and I, I think that it's just 
one of the most fun games that I, I still can play that I think is a pure but still inventive area control game. Like, it, it just brings a lot of joy to me except for the name like i i hate the name blood rage i think it is spicy so, vikings yeah, yeah spicy vikings yeah. is infinitely better uh, okay so what do you got what's what's so, coming up next let's do let's do okay so play on yours here i didn't do drafting i like i do like area control where they've started to tack on other mechanics to say, you know, like, we don't want risk. We don't want a dice chuck. We don't want this weird exponential growth of things. So what we're going to do is we're going to bolt on other mechanics that are maybe more fun mechanics, but keep the sense of capturing territory. Tyrants in the... I was going to say Tyrants of the Underpants, because that's... That's, <laughs> that, that's I, the best game. <laughs> that's what I call it at home. That's, yeah, okay. It's Tyrants of the Underpants, and I can't not say that sometimes. But Tyrants of the Underdark... <laughs> Um, is it possibly the first time a good D&D game was made that wasn't D&D a good board game of D&D? Probably. Well, no, 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 no. I mean, isn't that like the, the follow-up to Lords of Waterdeep? Like, Lords of Waterdeep is a great game. Okay. Okay, that's true. Fair enough. But I guess it's it very loosely second? D&D. Yeah. <laughs> what makes it like an area control game? I actually haven't played this game. Oh, okay. Well, so I'll bring that over next time we get together. But, um, I mean, it is, it is true area control. It's, um... It's got dudes on a map. It has. It's got a lot of drow, right? <laughs> Absolutely, drow, drow, drow. You're a bad person if you say drow. So I think we can agree <laughs> on that. Um, but but yes, it's got a lot of drizzits. Oh no, <laughs> is that, oh, no. that's the word, right? Okay, okay. So, now so, I know where this is going. <laughs> no, so 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 you hold cities, and the cities represent their spaces on the board. You have to have majority control to really benefit. Um, you have to link. There's logistics. You have to link adjacency from place to place so you build little paths of dudes but then there's ways to break that rule and uh and the whole way that you interact with the board is through a deck building mechanic through building a um a progressively better and better deck that does a variety one of maybe four or five or six different ways to interact with the board whether it's assassinating enemies dropping spies on the board what have you but i think it is one of the more interesting takes on one that is not a purely dudes on a map game right right so Okay, well, you can bring that over, but, you know, we'll see how I feel about Dritz in your underpants. <laughs> uh, as for my number three, I went with something that I think is a game that a lot of people have turned on. Because when I first played it, I felt like everyone was all about this game. And then now I feel like people only mention it when they're like, oh, God, that game. And that's Ethnos. Uh, I was blown away when I played this game, and I thought it was a very intentional, like, subversion of fantasy area control games. Like, I thought that by having the the beautiful illustrations in it, the John Howe artwork, and then this, like, very, uh, like very interesting like classic uh, fantasy literature map that you play on and then having these like hyper techno colored skittle like plastic pieces that you oh, put everywhere God, I, hate those pieces. Uh, I, I thought that was brilliant i was like these contrast so amazingly and they're garish compared to the john howe art the color scheme was definitely tropical skittles yeah exactly which is very contrasting with the kind of like uh, hildebrandt brothers type art that you're talking about like right, the classic right. fantasy art like that and then tropical skittles well i think that there are two camps of people there are people who are like oh my god this this 
old fantasy artwork is terrible where I was like, this is amazing. And then there's also people who are like, I love this very classy and refined fantasy artwork and how dare you pollute it with all these, you know, pieces here that are plastic and garish colors. But the, 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 the juxtaposition of these two elements, old and new, I think carry throughout the whole thing because it, the mechanics that you would think from the, the box and seeing the map is that this is going to be a battle game. It's going to be lengthy. It's going to be something that, you know, you're going to end up winning by killing other dudes. And really, it's kind of like a ticket to ride light uh, and you're positioning different tokens in areas by making these sets. And even though there's all these different races that have asymmetric powers, you're not actually those races. You're playing from a common pool, which how cool is it that you just build this deck out of what, six out of the 12 races or 10 races that are in there. So you have all these different combinations. It's super fast to play. It's very interesting. And the area control aspect of having the most or uh, having a majority in the region uh, and getting ranked based off of that is, is brilliant. So it is absolutely a fantasy area control game and it is absolutely not what you would ever think of in a fantasy area control game. So Ethnos is absolutely in my top list. I think the only reason, and it was high on my list too, just because I do like the the, the set collection mechanics. The only reason I think I did not really steer that direction was that I felt that the area control to me was a byproduct of what the game is really about, which was clever use of the the, the set building or the uh, the set collection mechanic. Yeah, totally. You totally. can make an argument either way. I mean, the area control is absolutely vital, and the uh, the majority of the points you score is driven by the area control, but the the interaction with the area control, it's its I put a token down and not much else. You don't ever kill anybody. You don't cleverly switch tokens or move them around. Um, most of the clever play is being done over here with the cards that don't directly drive those. So that was one area where I was like, okay, well... Yeah, but how good does it feel to have a wizard bomb where you know that dragon's about to come down and you drop six wizards and you're like, yeah, I'm going to draw the third dragon by drawing six cards and take that. Or the centaurs, you know, putting token after token on the board. Ugh, dude, I need to play more Ethnos. I love that game. So we we are coming towards the end of your tie for second place here. What, what do you have as your next not as good as number one game? Okay, so I have a feeling, I have a feeling that I'm going to to uh, supersede one of your games if I if I'm guessing correctly, and uh, I'm gonna say Battle for Rokugan. That's an interesting pick. Uh, the probably the least plastic out of any game that I've got, um, <laughs> which is actually one of its charms. It's it's kind of refreshing to have just a box of sort of. It's almost purest in that it is just a box of cardboard chits that still somehow does everything that I want. A game that is full of Twilight Imperium esque plastic armies marching across the board. Right, right. Um, it has everything I love about a true area control in that there is. Um, there's room for betrayals. There's room for sort of deal making. There's a bit of the unknown when you're wondering what orders are happening. Um, it's it's light. It's lighter than some of the the, the absolutely heavy beasts like the Twilight Imperiums and the, the really big slogs. Certainly lighter than the the slog that that Risk used to be. Right, right. Um, so so what I grew up on this was considerably lighter, but definitely richer experience. So I don't know. I think it does everything that a really heavily conflict-driven uh, area control game should do. 
Yeah, and it's such a minimalist package. It's so beautiful, and it has that Legend of the Five Rings theme, which I'm all about. If I could, if I could give you a brief tangent, a game that I wouldn't put on this list because it, it's objectively not as a good game. I live or... for brief tangents. <laughs> <laughs> um, I had this game, Wizard Quest. Okay, okay. it all was right. like a 1975 <laughs> yeah. game that I found in my grandparents' attic. That was actually a Christmas gift for my dad, like in the 80s or something like that. So this game is 30, 40 years old at least. Right. And it is very much a risk-like game. The combat, I think, is even D6 versus D6 driven. But what blew my mind when I first found this and played this was that, okay, risk, you're, you're camping out on this. You know, I've got North America and I'm slowly moving into South America and whatever. And, and this is this is my territory. This is... Right. My walls are built. Don't breach them because that means I'm losing. Wizard Quest was all about marching around the board. And yeah, if you held territory, you got more dudes, which mm-hmm. was a driving force behind the area control. But then your goal was actually to capture these treasures of yours. You would have your three little treasures, and they'd be spread around the board. And uh, your goal was actually to capture them. So oftentimes it turned into this amorphous, like you would sort of migrate your army. And as you'd lose territory over here, you'd sort of migrate your kingdom further and further towards what you really wanted. And then sort of go for, you know, punch in to try and get that that treasure. What blew my mind about it, though, was it took that whole notion of, like, turtling and camping and this is what I'm going to do. And it said, okay, well, no, you're going to move around. Battle for Rokugan does a good job of having a very fluid, I-don't-hold-territory sort of feeling. It's unnerving when you play an area control sometimes and you really just want, I want to put walls down and don't come across my walls. So if you want fluid area control, I'm guessing that, I mean, obviously Small World has to be your number one, right? Oh, it was so high on my list. <laughs> I, I don't know that I love that game as much as I did when I first found it. Right, right. But in some ways, it is one of the purest uh, just dynamic area control with asymmetry it is, games. It is so charming. And and for a brief spoiler here, I don't think it's the number one in either of our lists, but it, it really is a charming game and it accomplishes a lot in making this really, really approachable um, game that captures the spirit of like older games that you and I grew up on. Also, it seemed like the most complicated thing in the world when you were first getting into like modern hobby board games and you're like, I played Ticket to Ride and Catan, but this small world game is like the biggest, most epic game I've ever seen. It's a thing. And I think it, it boils everything down to the purest. Um, we talk about, you know, these pure ideas of this. Okay, this mechanic, you know, this is about majority and this one's about the movement and right this, right so to me small world is about the cost benefit analysis of like how you could take any space on the board you want but how many of your little cardboard goblins is this space going to be worth to you and it's about min maxing that decision making process to say this turn i want more points so i have to evaluate what can i afford to take right not what can i afford to hold you actually don't care about holding it it's but what can i afford to take yeah, yeah. Well, I, I think we could do a whole episode on, like, possible runner-ups. And that's one thing that, uh, you know, as we come to the conclusion of this uh, this episode here, if people want to see more of, like, us talking about this stuff and just getting pedantic about you know, various mechanisms and that kind of stuff, we could probably fill an hour just talking about the merits of what's actually area control or, you know, what are different games that we considered in preparation for this list. But for number two, I I do actually have some thoughts about the nature of area control. And maybe it's indicative that I don't actually love area control all that much that so many games on my list are, are like 
subverting area control in some way or kind of riffing on the classic model and they're not those pure experiences. And, you know, this game itself, it's not really like a pure area control game where you need to control the areas. And I actually thought about axing it from my list, but unlike games like, say, Eclipse, where I felt like it did have an area control element, but it, it was so minimal compared to the grand scheme of that that game's ethos uh, that I, I didn't feel comfortable with Eclipse on the list. But number two is one of my favorite games of all time, and that's Root. And this game, yeah, you don't actually get points from owning areas. And there, there's a limited mechanic in there that you can gain dominance of certain areas on the board in order to get an instant victory instead of points. But at its heart, it has these various areas on the board that are going to force interaction because there's limited space. And though you don't need to control an area in order to win, the areas themselves are what's going to facilitate each of the different asymmetric factions to achieve whatever their, their means are. And the factions that don't actually need to control areas, like I, I'm thinking about... The, the, migrating. I played yeah. it one time, I, twice now. And it's been a it's been a good spell. So what a little migrating bandit dude or whatever. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The well, the vagabond mouse, and I then <laughs> uh, like the the lizards like automatically take control if they have a garden. Or I'm thinking of the corvids who don't actually need to have control for the various types of movement that they have. But the, even the factions that don't need control, they're defined as being an exception to this rule that establishing control is how you're able to move about the map. It's how you're able to put things out. It's how you're able to get points. Like control is such an inherent aspect to that game and it forces interaction, puts pressure on everyone. And I absolutely adore it. I think from that we could probably take and expand the definition because I think it's a little narrow to think, okay, well, area control is is the area defining the win condition so much as, okay, the area needs to either define the win condition to really be focused on area control or the area control aspect maybe is the main facilitating factor right, to the right. other pieces that you're doing. So you have to control the area in order to move about the board and accomplish whatever the other goals are. I, I would agree with that. I would say my experience with Root, it feels area control-ish enough to, to be in that category. Area control-ish. Um, where <laughs> where where does do the deeper never pies come in in the dandelion wine? Yeah, I assume exactly. that's part of the win condition. It has to be in there. That's like the Brian Jake's secret award, you know, on the side. <laughs> like if you read the inside of the box or something, you know, you lift back a flap. It's like you secretly win if you speak like a mole throughout this. Or 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 uh, can describe at least five foodstuffs yeah exactly uh, something about uh, uh chestnuts sprinkled with sugar dandelion wine it has to be really obscure like garden stuff too yeah tell us the 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 various permutations of log a log of the <laughs> the shrews of moss flower all right, before we get to our number ones, I wanted to actually uh, bring up uh, something that I put online. I asked people what are their favorite area control games, knowing that we were going to do this and never l losing an opportunity or missing an opportunity to take advantage of an audience to fill up time. <laughs> so uh, I uh, turned to the internet for uh, what are the favorite area control games, and this is what I got. <laughs> 
fellow Alaskan and Platypus Con attendee and game designer oh, and guy. game developer, Michael Dunsmore. How many different titles could I give him? Okay, so Michael Dunsmore says, is this even a discussion? Everyone knows in their heart that it is Eric Lang's masterpiece, Chaos in the Old World. Extremely asymmetric play while still keeping all the core rules the same so that it's easy to teach and learn. Plus, who doesn't want to be a god despoiling regions? I don't know. What do you think? I, I threw out Chaos in the Old World earlier. I still have it. Uh, I love that game. I'm just going to say this. Eric Lang needs to not design any games that have three-player requirements. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm looking at you, Blood Rage and Chaos in the Old World. I love those games, but come on. Three players? That is like the, the hardest. Give me something for two or something. I don't know. I think it's the required three minimum. Well, I think Blood Rage actually plays two to four, but it's just not sure that great. Two? I think. Am I crazy? Internet, tell us which one of us is right in this because I'm not going to go and check my shelf right now. Yeah, now I'm on to know. Okay, well, <laughs> if I'm wrong, pretend I didn't say that. If I'm right, pretend I'm gloating right now. Excellent. But point being, I think that I just always had a hard time getting that one to the table. But when I just, just because it's an odd, it's a strange number. And right. I don't know what it is about having that number on the box. That means I can't get four people to play it. I don't know. But that's just the curse. Um, but absolutely. A really cool game in that you the area control elements is more than just the dude you have on the board, but also the corruption mechanic. Truth is, I thought Chaos in the Old World was, eh, it's okay. People love it a lot more than I do. That's why I went with Blood Rage. Now, Dr. Joe Baxter Webb says, Inish. It's just so streamlined. Every area has a reason you'd want to control it. Multiple ways to win means you have to concentrate. Combat is so simple, but so tense. This is a pick that I can kind of get behind here. It's a psychedelic game. It does play interesting riffs on area control. I don't know. Do you have like a, a hot take on it this year? I, I, I have a passion for what I see as the like the mythology cycle. I, <laughs> yeah. I, I kind of want them to join these games. I want Matigo to come out and like make a battle of the gods or something because they do such a good job on that theme with the egyptian gods in in Kemet, uh cyclades and the greek gods and then inish in the i didn't realize there were celtic gods <laughs> but <laughs> or celtic mythology um if it's not thor and lightning bolts then i'm confused right right um but but uh the, the thing about that one is is it, it very much is is a is a a good example of area control in that it's all about getting dudes into an area and then supplanting the enemy, not through combat, but more through trickery and, and manipulation of, of location and or swapping guys in and out and things like that. So there's a lot of meat to it. I stray more towards like the commit mm-hmm. side of things. I want more combat. I want more blood and guts. I want more upgrades and powers. Right, right, um, right. But absolutely deserves to be on this list. And yeah. Cyclades deserves an honorable mention on that, on that list too. Even though that one... The, the, the controlling of the islands is really minimal compared to the huge auction mechanic, which I did actually in preparation for this. I was out there kind of re- looking at what, what do the other people think area control means. Right, right. Someone made a very good case that if, if controlling a space is putting your resource in the form of dudes on this, this spot, is sort of an, a bidding on a spot using your armies, then auctions could be considered a more abstract form of I'm trying to control... <laughs> this god by placing my guys here so we could get extremely academic on this it was list. a rabbit hole it was a rabbit hole but it was a, it was an interesting point to make in a very long bgg pose right right okay well uh nate walker here speaking of academics says el grande is the once and future king <laughs> boring 
And I just don't have... When I, I mean, it's fine. It's fine. I, I want to march scorpions across empires and not burn Not caballeros. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to wear a zarape as I march across the board. I just kind of want... I want my plague to conquer the earth. I want my dark gods to rise up and sweep across the board. I want to hold the honor of having castles before, you know, right. and, and, being betrayed. And I think there is a total argument for this. You know, El Grande is okay. Um, I think Yokohama is a great uh, area control game. And I mentioned Ethnos earlier as, you know, like a, a non-aggressive, non-combat area control game. Uh, so I, I think these games, you know, like I... I I think it deserves a mention, but as far as personal preference, El Grande is, you know... It fits the category, but it's not something I'm going to be jumping into. Right. Now, uh, fellow uh, game reviewer Matt Hallowell, who has some excellent reviews, and I think this is actually an excerpt from one of his reviews, so I'll I'll put a link into here. Uh, He says... Cthulhu Wars beckons you to unleash the eldritch power of the old ones. I mean, see, he's responding to a tweet. I saw. Yeah. <laughs> I think I saw that blurb like on the Kickstarter for Cthulhu. Yeah, Wars. exactly. So layers of asymmetric nuance, chess-like precision, and fistfuls of dice bring both immense depth and surprise twists. It has consumed my mind more than any other game. The stars are right. Nap time is over. Well, that is very eloquent and a beautiful way to put that he really digs Cthulhu Wars, which I'm surprised hasn't been on your list yet, because that's a hot game, right? Yes, and I'm going to disagree just a little bit here that nap time is sometimes over, (laughs) unless you're playing the sleeper faction, in which case, absolutely it's nap time. Okay. uh, Which I think should tell you right now that Cthulhu Wars is my number one. Um, I have backed everything they've put out, so that should tell you I'm a glutton for punishment, uh, financially. Uh, (laughs) Yes. You're single-handedly supporting Sandy Peterson games. There's a man out there who is able to design games wholly on the back of the financing (laughs) I am providing at this point. Um, And I'm pretty sure I've seen the pictures of his kids' braces. Yeah, orthodontia ain't cheap, man. (laughs) So the the thing is, is it's a lot of plastic. It is my showpiece of a game. So any review of Cthulhu Wars has to talk about the fact that, that... that it's a multi-hundred dollar investment, potentially. Right. Even if you just get the base box, it's over a hundred dollars. Right. And you are investing in the flash and the flare. But if you were to shove that and take, for example, and this is why it beat Chaos in the Old World for me, because you get the, the dark gods rising and conquering the earth. So right. you get the theme, but and you get the asymmetry, and you even get that energy-based mechanic, which I really love a round structure where it's it's asymmetric turns where if I spend all my energy now I'm out for the round and I could keep going as if I can drag my actions out I might be the last man getting to act in the turn um, really great mechanic implemented in one of yours too Blood Rage yeah um, so I love to see that one but with Cthulhu Wars the the tense I love the phrase knife fight in a phone booth feeling of of holding spots just by having enough big scary things on the board and always being one monster away from having someone topple you off the spot that you need it is such a good feeling and if i had a downside to it i would say the only downside of that game is that it has a high learning curve because of the the heavy asymmetry going into it i'm going to have an advantage because i know what everybody does but you're going to be focused on learning your faction and have no time to learn the other one. So honestly, I, I think if there's one downside to the game, it's that it it is going to be a turnoff to some people because you'll 
have this impression that the game cannot be that sophisticated. Like this just has to be a game that facilitates selling a ton of plastic and oh, let's forget about this. That's how I actually felt. And I tend to be pretty like, uh, you know, willing to try anything. And I, I think, you know, whatever, I'll give it a chance. And I did that with Cthulhu Wars with you. But I remember going into it going like, uh, this is just going to be an excuse to have this like monumental totem to an eldritch <laughs> god on the table. And I was amazed with how sophisticated of a game it ended up being. Well, and even the theme says the same thing. This is a theme that's been hashed and rehashed and hashed and rehashed time and again. And how many nuanced ways can you do the rising of the old ones and I'm going insane and, and the earth has fallen. And so I, I kind of, you know, I bought it when it first kickstarted in like 2013 and this was only only four or five years into my heavy gaming experience. Um, so I didn't know what to expect. But even if I kickstarted it now, I would expect Kickstarter bloat. I would expect, look, it's an right, easy right, theme right, right. that everybody does. It's bloated plastic. It's probably not for me. I'm glad I got it before I became that um, reserved. Right. I totally. lucked out. So absolutely. Uh, definitely fits my number one. And as far as area control goes, it... It doesn't have the aspect of conquering anything. It, it's the tense hold it in the moment that Comet or Blood Rage might have. And I think you ended up having to buy a larger house just to house all of the miniatures associated with that game. Or maybe the timelines just happen to be yeah. coincidental there. But Okay, well, my number one is, uh, is a game that I think of as like emblematic to this genre. It's the game that was probably the one of the icons of board gaming to me when we were starting to get really heavy into board games and now I think of it fondly as like kind of the the apex of like pure dudes on a map area control games and that's Game of Thrones second edition. I I just I, I know it's unwieldy. I know that it takes forever. I know that it doesn't scale particularly well with different player counts, though there was that Feast for Crows expansion that did pretty well with four players, and then there was also the latest expansion, which I hear scales players better because of the like vassal system. I haven't actually played it yet, but what I do know is that this game just... It, all of the aspects of the game, which are really well integrated, both thematically and mechanically, like, you know, it, it captures the spirit of Game of Thrones or Song of Ice and Fire. Um, but everything is in service of the area control aspect of the game, because in order to win, you have to have a certain number of castles. And those castles are going to uh, impact heavily your capabilities throughout the game at various intervals it's going to be checked and so you want to have them in order to to bolster your power but there's also this element where you might consider is it worth me giving up this castle if i can position myself into a more tactical uh you know environment or capture someone else's and yeah there's all this like political intrigue and everything going on which i think is heavily influenced by diplomacy um but the the game itself is how do I maintain control of the things I have and expand outwards and take advantage of little vulnerabilities because everyone is putting pressure on a few other people. And if you capitalize on that well, then you come out on top. And I just think it's one of the most 
refined games in my collection. It may not be my favorite. It doesn't hit the table all the time. It is hard to get a group in order to play a Game of Thrones 2nd Edition, especially after everyone's lost interest in Game of Thrones after the abysmal 8th season, and maybe like 7th and 6th season if you want to get into it. But um, yeah, I, I adore this game, and even though Root is one of my favorite games, and probably I would definitely rank it higher than Game of Thrones in my personal list, when I'm thinking area control, that is the game that I think at the top of it. I have maybe five things, so I'm going to try and keep <laughs> okay. this short. There's five, there's I went on things. a rant there. You know, no, I no, was no. like filibustering uh, for Game of Thrones. <laughs> I, I, don't, um, I, I don't think that I could say enough about Game of Thrones, so I have, I have maybe five things to hit on first. Uh, funny story is that I was actually mad at you for buying Game of Thrones the first time <laughs> because it is such a beefy game to get to the table, and right. I mean, it and it really doesn't didn't scale well at least in the early days for for sure. I, I can't say for the new stuff, but uh, I was mad because our social circles for gaming overlap so heavily that I'm like. Now I'm never going to get my copy played because we game at your house, so it'll be your copy played. So now I've got this game on the shelf that I love, and I'll get to play it, but it won't be my copy. But your copy is signed now. Yes. So story number two is I actually got the most confused look I think you've ever seen from from an author uh, when I took that game to Comic-Con in San Diego and got George R.R. Martin to sign my copy of Game of Thrones, and he's just holding the empty board game box because I took it with no pieces in my suitcase. <laughs> yeah. And uh, he's just holding this empty board game box, just kind of confused, like, there's a stack of, of books over here, and this guy wants this. What is this? Uh, well, I was there. Like, yeah. I, I I actually got the book signed, oh, you, you know, like picture. a normal person. Yeah. And then you are like, will you please sign my board game box? <laughs> so so I have that going for me, too. Um, but, uh, but one of my all-time great... Um, board game experiences was a loss to you explicitly as if i want to if i remember correctly it was the martels right right explicitly denying me the victory which gets to something uh, set aside all the nostalgia for the game of thrones part of it but what makes game of thrones really cool that we haven't talked about for area control is something that actually gets a lot of scorn which is the idea that you don't win a lot of area control by being ahead, especially conflict-heavy area control, by being ahead. The guy in first place almost always loses. Right, right. Because, and, and it becomes like, you ever see those games where you have to like tap the button to make your little dude like just hover right between the, the goalposts kind of thing as you travel across the, the screen, the little time wasters? It reminds me so much of that as a metaphor where... You just you want to be in like the top two or three players, but you never want to be the number one because you want to topple the king. Are you comparing you Game of Thrones to Flappy Bird right now? <laughs> <laughs> I was. I absolutely. It's 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 a metaphor. Flappy Bird is a metaphor for Game of Thrones. You want to flap your little bird right below the obstacle of, of being in first because you'll get crushed. But, but definitely not at the bottom. You know, the Cardboard Herald doesn't sell merchandise, <laughs> but I think we can make a shirt out of this. <laughs> there's, there's an opportunity here. There's a, there's a meme to be had here with the first place player above the Flappy Bird. But yeah, that, that is something that Game of Thrones does so well, because if you take an early lead, you are destined to fail. And it's only by being that guy who's just close enough to victory that you can then suddenly sneak your way to that extra couple of castles. That's how you win that game. 
actually really again tying back to the theme of being like it's never never the people who are doing well in that show because they ended up dying <laughs> yeah. really yeah. quickly like oh this guy looks like he's in charge and knows what he's doing he's gonna die next episode all right well we have 10 games down plus a few honorable mentions and then of course the the games that the audience uh, listed as their own favorites. If you want to see more of these videos, if you want John to come back on for some reason, God knows why. I mean, he, he is the only person that I know, like personally, that has most assuredly played even more games than me and is really a part of the fabric of my own like gaming identity. Um, so, you know, the, we have a, a lot of camaraderie and rivalry there. Uh, so if you do want to see more of these videos, then I'd love to hear some suggestions and i'd also love to know how we're wrong specifically how john's wrong but i have a feeling that i went with the less typical I'm area control some, games i'm gonna hear some some flack for diplomacy by email <laughs> but i still contend that that is the most excited i ever have ever been to come home from work and check my email is is knowing that i was getting stabbed in the back most likely okay well uh you know let us know what you want to see in the future if you want to be one of the people who gets to give your own recommendation for one of these videos and you know when we're getting ready to film one then follow on twitter at cardboard herald well YouTube is the Cardboard Herald. I, I don't know. Handles are weird. But anyway, thank you so much for watching. Thanks, John, for coming on to the show. This has been a blast, and I can't wait to do it again. All right, thanks for having me. I want to have a discussion about whether a flicking game could be area control by virtue <laughs> of you having to actually put your piece to physically control an area I, by physically I think, moving a piece to I think somewhere. you could have a dexterity-based area control game like where... It's kind of a shuffleboardy type, like you're aiming to get to a region but still the holding of that region is Crokinole uh, <laughs> <laughs> <control> game. <laughs> if you enjoyed this video, we have all kinds of other reviews, interviews, and recommendations via writing, podcast, and video here on our channel and website CardboardHerald.com our content is audience supported, so if you want to show your support, please visit our Patreon. Thank you so much for watching. This has been the Cardboard Herald.